0: Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com national editor Matt Myers. On today's show, we are going to talk about what else the playoffs, it's the middle of October. Where we sit today, it is Tuesday afternoon. It's about three hours or so before Game 4 of the Houston-Tampa Bay series, which has been pretty fun. So by the time you listen to this, you may know what has happened. We don't, so we're just going to go ahead uh, and talk about it. But before we dive into the individual series, I did kind of want to look at October from a high-level point of view. You know, what have we seen so far? We had some expectations about what October would look like, and I think some of it's been met and some of it maybe not so much, which I found kind of surprising. The, the first thing, you know, we talked a lot about home runs. Teams who have out-homered their opponents are 10-4 and four so far. That remains true. There has never been an October since divisional uh, play started in 1969. Never once were teams who out-hit their, out-homered their opponents not have a winning record it's impossible
1: you still hear teams that put the ball and play more win more in the postseason uh it's (laughs) really it's really quite something
0: all the time um it has not been a good postseason for hitters uh this is the expected stuff there's something unexpected i want to get to in a second but uh hitters as a whole so far are hitting 237 314 412 that is a 309 weighted on base. That's down from the regular season, which was 324. That is expected. We have gone through this in great detail. It's so much harder to hit in the postseason. Uh, The equivalent of a 309 weighted on base for this season, if you go back to the regular season, is essentially Miguel Rojas, Jose Iglesias, like these slick fielding middle infielder types. Um, But I I thought this was kind of fun. The Yankees have a 395 weighted on base, and nobody else has above a 319. So seven of the eight teams are basically can't hit, and the Yankees. I know three games, whatever, but um, the Yankees, man.
1: Well, also, I mean the uh, the way the the way it kind of it, it trigger out with with the Yankees and the Twins with with Pineda getting suspended, and they've got Dobnak pitching game two I mean, at Yankee Stadium. It yeah. was
0: <laughs> I, I, I don't want to skip ahead to like talking about that series yet, but I feel like I'm. a Big baseball nerd, like I know a lot about baseball. In Game Two of the ALDS at Yankee Stadium, they started a guy I had never heard of six weeks ago, (laughs) like, and even then was only for his story about the wedding. You know, it's like that's that's a bet that's rough. Um, this is maybe my favorite number I've seen in the postseason so far. Every single year you see uh, harder fastballs. This is not a surprise, right? The best teams, best players, more more days off, unsurprising. However, I thought this was an incredible number. In the regular season this year, the percent of forcing fastballs that were 95 miles an hour or harder was 27%. So far in the postseason, it is 55%. It has more than doubled. Um, there are 27 different pitchers who have thrown every single one of their forcing fastballs at 95 miles an hour. Or more, the most of them at 100 percent is Garrett Cole, who's thrown all 62 of them. <laughs> good God, uh, at 100 miles, at 95 miles an hour or more. Uh, the most overall is Max Scherzer, who has thrown 83 of them out of his 102. Uh, Tyler Glass now, by the way, a perfect 54 for 54. There is so much velocity this October, and that I mean partially is because Houston's in it, and Tampa Bay's in it, and the Yankees are in it, and Minnesota's out. But good uh, God, are you
1: suggesting the teams with pitchers that throw hard? do well no get out you say <laughs> scherzer is actually i mean i think maybe it was in relief in the in the wild card game but he's what did he pitch i can't it was one out of him where he was throwing his hardest pitches of the year like he was oh like, uh, yes he was, he yes, was 99 yes. plus right so he's uh he's been dialing it up especially when he's coming in for for short for short stints
0: Uh hard hit rate is actually up 38 is up from 36 percent last october and 36 this regular season ground balls are way down 40% ground ball rate is down from 46% last October and 44% in the regular season. That's the lowest on record. Uh, you you know, you'd think like higher hard hit rate and lower ground ball rate would lead to a ton of homers, but we haven't seen that. Part of that, as we'll get to in a minute, is the wind in Washington because there are some fun stuff that happened uh, in that game. Now, here's the part that I don't think anybody necessarily expected. Starters have been great and relievers have been terrible (laughs) now we've seen the the gap narrowing in recent years but so far starters have a 273 era relievers have a 514 era uh starters have allowed a 283 weighted on base relievers a 342 weighted on base i i have an answer to this question or i have a i have a theoretical answer to the question i'm about to pose to you do you consider that to be uh a sign of the times or just a thing that has happened so far
1: probably just a thing that has happened okay. but uh you know i'll admit i have not uh dive too deep into this
0: i i think we have been very fortunate so far that the starters we have seen have just pitched out of their shoes you know zach Greinke aside randy dobnek aside i guess but garrett cole like oh my god you know walker bueller looked great even Seventy-nine-year-old Adam Wainwright, like, who I feel bad saying that Adam Wainwright is three weeks older than I am and like two years younger than you are, so he's not that old. Uh, but in baseball terms, I guess he is, uh, you know. And then if you look at some of the relievers, I feel like you know some of those guys are like last man off the uh, the bench coming in in a blowout game. Some of it's like a good starter like Patrick Corbin coming in and not doing
1: well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or Wade Miley who's now become like mop up man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right.
0: Uh, it, it, that's going to be an ongoing story, I have to think that will kind of even out a little bit as time goes on, but it's been an interesting October so far for like old school starting pitchers.
1: You, you mentioned Corbin and I, I saw someone tweet this and I think, I think it might've been our old friend, uh, Paul Swiden Um, but it might not, Hi, have been. Paul. but I'll just mention Paul. Um, from uh, used to be the editor, I guess the managing editor of Fangraphs and a the writer there. Um, he said that, like, you know, when Corbin came in the other day in relief, he was like, I remember, he basically said something. I remember a time when it used to be like crazy for starting pitchers to come in in relief, and now it happens, it's now just like part of like what we expect in postseason baseball. I think, you know, obviously, managers have been emboldened by the success of teams in the last couple of years, notably the Red Sox last year, getting a lot out of the likes of uh. Evaldi and Sale, sale and Price, and, right? And in, the Astros in, in, the year before in, in relief. Uh, exactly, Astros the year before. It doesn't always work, um, and we'll get to more in a second. But like teams, it's, it's just now what teams do. And while it didn't really work with Corbin, like it was in the moment, it was the right call. But we can get more to that in a second. Why don't we start going? I guess we're starting with the Dodgers-Nats series, so maybe maybe that is a a good place to start.
0: Well, the Dodgers and Nats are tied at two. Game five is. Tomorrow night, Wednesday, that will be uh, Bueller versus Strasburg, which is, man, Strasburg's looked good. Bueller's been great. Uh, <laughs> I know you really want to talk about the last time that the Dodgers and Dats played at game five. And I have to admit, I had forgotten about this until you mentioned it. And now that I, I'm seeing what you're about to say, it's bringing back a lot of feelings. <laughs> so, at the, the
1: 2016, three years ago, um, sort of feels like a lifetime ago, sort of feels like yesterday, um, 2016 postseason, the. Nats and the DS, the Nats and Dodgers, went to Game 5. The Game 5 was in Washington, and I remember that. Uh, most people remember probably for for Kershaw coming in and closing it out. Um, I remember it for possibly my favorite play that uh, we've ever, like, broken down via StatCast, which uh, longtime listeners will remember us discussing, you know, three years ago, which was when uh, the Nats were up one nothing in the sixth inning. Jason Wirth was on first base. Ryan Zimmerman— Double down the line of Julio Urias, who was like you know like twelve at the time, <laughs> um, and he got thrown out at home by like a mile. They they made a very aggressive send uh, Andrew Tolles was the left fielder. That's a name I'm remembering. Uh, Corey Seeger was <laughs> yeah. the short. Was a rookie working rookie shortstop had the relay throw threw into Grendel at the plate. They they had him dead to rights by like a mile. Um, and if you went back, we went back and broke down the play, and you could trace the whole thing back to. Urias having an incredible pickoff move because Jason Worth had a much shorter second. We like looked at it. It was like his his lead and secondary lead were much shorter than usual. So like yes, he still might have been out, but like he started like basically like eight feet further back than he normally would against like any old any old pitcher. Um, so it was like a really one of my favorite like early uses of Statcast because we got to really see like a, like a, all the ele- when We broke it down to all yeah. the elements. You could see where like. The, the the origin of him getting thrown out by, like, 20 it, feet.
0: It, it reminds me a lot of the Jose Altuve play in the 2017 ALCS uh, where he where whoever was hitting flew out to uh, Judge in right field, remember? And they cut they, they yeah. off play and he's out by 25 feet, but Sanchez couldn't hold on to exactly. it. Exactly. Those, those are actually, like, the most fun. And they're just we just don't do it during the regular season because there's so many games they don't matter so much, but it is fun when those happen here.
1: And then, you know, as many will remember, that game – Worth was out. The lead stayed one nothing, and then Jock Peterson led off the seventh against Max Scherzer and Homer. The Dodgers scored four runs and held on. It's actually kind of amazing. You look at these two teams.
0: A lot of the same guys. A lot of the
1: same. It's (laughs) been three years. It's a lot of the same guys, uh, which is kind of cool as we go to Game Five. And I was reminded of that Urias play in Game Four last night when Trey Turner led off against Urias in the fifth, I think, and singled. And he got on. And I was like, "Oh, he's gonna steal. This is totally a steal situation." And then I, I saw Urias. Yeah. They they gave like the the the, the view of the the from the side view, and I was like, "Oh, I forgot Urias." Flashbacks. Big, flashback. I was like, "Urias got this amazing move. Turner's going nowhere. Eaton bunted, which, yep, which sure great... he, he sure did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then Rendon got the get, game go ahead hit. Zimmerman uh, hit that big homer, and now we're going to that, uh to game five. That
0: was just from a baseball fan point of view, really cool. Seeing Ryan Zimmerman, like, was he the first ever draft pick the team had, right? Yeah, first ever draft pick. Yeah, homered I, in the first game of the stadium, and then going, like, deep, you know, all these years later, it was cool. It
1: was cool. As, as Will Leach wrote today in his column, Ryan Zimmerman has been around so long, he took Vinny Castillo's job. <laughs> Which, okay, is like, which is kind of amazing. Um, um, but anyway, ne- so...
0: Neither here nor there. Uh, Ian Desmond has ber- been around for so long that he was drafted by the Expos. Yes. He's still around. Um, I did want to break down this play from last night. This would be uh, in the top of the eighth. You know, Scherzer, like, you know, Delta looks great. And here comes Sean Doolittle. You know, Dodgers is down by a couple runs. Max Muncy steps up and crushes the ball. 107 miles off, an hour off the bat. A 32-degree launch angle. These are, like, the perfect inputs for home runs here. And he hit it to the deepest part of the park. It got held up in the wind, and it ended up being a out to center field. And if you looked at the reactions on the faces of Max Muncy and Sean Doolittle, you knew exactly what had happened. Max Muncy kind of like grimaces and points to the sky like, ugh, the wind. And Sean Doolittle looks out the center field like, I just got away with something here. And the numbers to it are actually really funny. Andrew Simon, one of our researchers, uh, looked this up, and he tweeted it out. Uh, balls similar to the one Max Muncy hit, just based on 107 uh, and 32 degrees, have been home runs roughly 96 percent of the time sometimes when you see a ball absolutely destroyed and the uh hit probability or expected batting average is not a perfect 100 people get upset and they're like when does that ball ever not go out sometimes this sometimes with the wind anyway i looked it up and there have been a couple of dozen of those kinds of batted balls you know almost every time it's a home run i wanted to know when else wasn't it a home run uh and the answers here are actually pretty funny i found three of them Uh, earlier this year rafael devers hit one off the like very highest part of the right side of the green monster in boston that's like like, it's like
1: almost like dead center field it's really yeah it's
0: it's, any other park that goes out it hits the giant wall uh in 2016 manny machado was robbed of a home run by desmond jennings but my favorite one here was in 2017 aaron judge steps up again in fenway park sunday night baseball crushes a ball And you will probably remember the play without even having to look it up. This is the one where Jackie Bradley on the right side of the triangle goes and essentially, like, climbs over into the bullpen and makes this absolutely ridiculous catch. Uh, That's what has to happen for a ball like this to not be a home run. This probably would not have changed the outcome of the game, although you never know. You get the ball rolling against the Washington bullpen. Anything can happen. But that was uh, kind of a turning point for me. We saw the wind a couple of times last night. I don't know if you saw Cody Bellinger overrunning a ball by, like, 10 feet and then trying to come back and get it as it lands for a double or a triple or whatever, uh, the wind was playing a whole bunch of interesting things. This ball that Muncie hit had an expected weighted on base of of nearly 2,000, right? So if you want to know the exact number, it's 1,860. That's a generally meaningless number. Just know that it's incredibly high. Uh, That is the highest value out of the postseason. It was the 16th highest value out of all of 2019. And did you know, the highest value out of the season actually happened on September 29th, the last weekend of the season. Jackie Bradley, my boy, crushed a ball in where else? Fenway Park. That was the one where uh, Baltimore's Stevie Wilkerson flew over. flew <laughs> We talk about like how often do these things happen in Fenway Park. This is why sometimes I get over. Over is not the right word, but sometimes I'm not as impressed by home run robberies as I ought to be because if you're playing in Fenway, not in left field, obviously, but if you're playing in center or right, I feel like you get a lot of shots at it,
1: you know? Yes, yeah, for sure, for sure. That, that Wilkerson play had the cool optics where he almost, like, bounced off the wall. Right. He did Like a little bit of a Spider-Man, like a parkour kind of thing. That's
0: uh, All due respect to him, that was a great play. But I, I have a hard time thinking Steve Wilkerson can make a play that Mookie Betts can't make or Hayward or Judge or anybody you want. That's neither here nor there. Um, did you know that the best pitcher in the postseason so far, there have been 52 pitchers who faced at least 10 guys. If you look at expected weighted on base, how many guesses would I need to give you before you would have gotten to Kenta Maeda.
1: Uh, A lot.
0: He's been great. He obviously hasn't thrown as many innings. Uh, He has an expected weight on a base of point oh six eight. This happens... Every year with the Dodgers, he is a solid, above-average starting pitcher. He goes to the bullpen, and he becomes, like, the second coming of, I don't know, Dennis Eckersley or whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's – I mean, that's one of the cool things about – and this is what the good managers do in postseason is they basically say, like, okay, who are my, like, two or three best relievers? And anytime it's a close game, I'm going to make sure that they get in the game. And so, like, I can almost guarantee that you will see him in game five – Um Against the Nationals on Wednesday night,
0: do we have? Well, I can guarantee you, you're not going to see AJ Pollock in the starting lineup. <laughs> I was going to say like, that's
1: right. <laughs> on the flip Tra- side. On the flip side of well, Maeda is AJ Pollock. Well,
0: actually, wait, wait, uh, you might see AJ Pollock in the starting lineup. Right? Well, let's let's take this second. He is 0 for 12 with 10 strikeouts. I I'm not sure I mean, he's a good player. Like he he got off to a lousy start for the Dodgers. He got hurt. He came back. He actually played very well in the second half. 0 for 12 with 10 strikeouts, I don't know if you could do that if you tried. Oh, and one walk, he is unsurprisingly of the 64 players with at least 10 plate appearances. His expected weight on a base is 64th. That's bad. Now, when they played against Strasburg uh, earlier in the, se- in the series, he was hitting third. And we all know that pitcher versus batter stats are totally useless. And that was a lot of the reason you saw, as like he had, I don't even remember what it was, a high batting average, against him. But I looked it up and at the time, he had made contact with seven batted balls in the stack cast tracking era against Strasburg, and all seven of them were hard hit. That's at least interesting to me. He, he has shown the capability to square up Strasburg, except then he didn't. They can't possibly start him, right?
1: This is what this is this is what makes the postseason interesting. Is you know we're going to see it, but the same thing is going to there's there's a similar situation in the Braves cardinals series. I want we'll get to when we talk about that series where it's like how much do you just have to buy into the small sample? These are really smart teams. You know the the Dodgers are not the kind of team that's going to buy into oh like twelve at bats. That said, like right now he's probably in his own head. He look I mean he's. Failing the eye test miserably. Oh, he bad. looks lost. He, the I love the the side like slow motion replays that you get in the postseason broadcast, like the super slow mo's, and you see like guys out on their front foot like flailing at pitches, and you see him striking out, missing pitches by like literally like meters. It's it's meters. <laughs>
0: it's 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 bad. He uh he didn't start yesterday. Matt Beatty started, it, and Dave Roberts was asked about it, and he said something along the lines of uh, he's having a really hard time with spin right now, and so he eventually comes in to pinch hit. And I think it was still Scherzer pitching. Rips off this like hilarious breaking ball, and he was away by let's call it meters. <laughs> like it, was, it, it lived up to expectations. There has been a very fun subplot in this game. I remember at the trading deadline, every Dodger fan wanted them to get an ace closer, some kind of like high quality reliever, and they eventually came up with Adam Kolarek from Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, lefty, elite ground ball kind of guy. He's been pretty good for them. He has been like the designated Juan Soto attacker. Juan Soto is elite. Like I, am convinced he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's 20 years old, and Adam Cullerick has come up and just
1: dominated him. It's been really fun to watch and, this. And what's what's sort of cool and kind of sad about it is that this is like the, the rules are changing next year, right? So you yes. can't you can't just come in and face one batter. So basically, this is the last year. Next year, there's a three batter minimum. Um, or I forget exactly what the rule, but it's essentially three batters. F- unless you end the inning. In the inning. But as a result of that, it's going to be much harder to carry a guy whose only utility is essentially getting left-handed hitters I, out. I should stay consistent and say that I have always been in favor of this rule, although I am enjoying what's happening right exactly. now. Exactly. So it'll be much harder to carry an out of for a postseason series. However, he's faced Soto three times, struck him out twice, retired him the third time. Soto's been good but not— great elsewhere but he's still four for 15 against everyone else with a homer and two walks and you know that in game five there's no question that at some point colorrick is going to face soto the question is when like if it's if it's like the fourth inning and soto comes up with the bases loaded and bueller hasn't like looked great are we going to see him in the fourth inning
0: if if bueller hasn't looked great it probably doesn't matter
1: it's probably over at that point. No, but like let's say you know it's, let's say it's the fourth inning and it's one one, but he's you know walked two or three guys and it's just his command hasn't been great. That's I mean that's kind of the decision point that's like the most the most fascinating. Or alternatively, if like you know Maid is pitching and he's only pitched an inning and he looks and he's only pitched a couple of batters and he looks good, but Soto's up. It's yeah. that's like when to utilize when to use that bullet is like an interest is a really interesting subplot of Game Five because
0: it's going to be Bueller. They'll probably use Kershaw at some point. Uh, Jansen, I guess, if they have to, Maeda. uh, Yeah, you're right. Like, Calaric will come in. I can't imagine they go near Joe Kelly after that display the other night, which is so disappointing. He'd been so good down the stretch, uh, and then he couldn't throw strikes. All right, Game 5, Strasburg versus Bueller. Bueller's last three postseason starts have been ridiculous. If you go back to Game 7 of the NLCS last year, Game 3 of the World Series last year, and Game 1 of this series, 17 and two-thirds innings, one run, 22 strikeouts, Three walks, a one ninety seven on base percentage. He is just dominant. I feel like he doesn't quite get the respect he deserves. Um, but I guess you could say the same thing for Strasburg, <laughs> who somehow perpetually perpetually feels underrated. Strasburg's o sixty four ERA in what is this in the postseason yes. is, is the best in history among starters who have thrown twenty five innings. That's fun. <laughs> I don't know how to pick this game. I don't really think the home field advantage means much. Um, Scherzer will not be available. He said he could not imagine a scenario where he's available. I guess that's an advantage. I, I'm picking Dodgers, but with little to no confidence.
1: One more one more fact I want to just drop on this, on that pitching matchup, is that I went back and looked at the best expected weight on base by pitchers in the postseason since 2015. That's all the data we have. So that misses one year of Strasburg when he pitched in the postseason in 2014 when he was – Excellent. So this doesn't even include Strasburg's excellent 2014 because we don't have StatCast data for that. So I looked at starting pitchers, minimum 75 batters faced, 2015 to present, ranked by expected weight on base. Strasburg is 1, 2 is Verlander. But by a gap of like 50 points yes, here, yeah. Strasburg's 1 at 191. Um, 2 is Verlander, 244. 3 is Cole at 260. And 4 is Bueller, at 264. So we're getting 1 versus 4, basically of the StatCast, quote-unquote, StatCast era in a Game 5 it's pretty cool. Strasburg is really. I think he's like. If he kind of dominates tomorrow, the narrative, him, like the whole shift of his. I think the narrative of his career will finally like fully shift to like. Wow, this guy has really kind of like matched expectations. I,
0: I am convinced he is one hundred. Well, ninety eight percent going to opt out. Two percent going to use that as leverage to get some kind of extension. He is. He is well positioned right now. Okay, Cardinals. Oh, sorry. Well, I didn't, I, let, you, I wanna, I didn't I w- let you pick. I, didn't I was. Really
1: pick. I would. I. The Dodgers bench is so deep. Yes. That's like, it's like – I mean, the, the, the difference in the benches is so huge. And also not to mention the fact that, like, their bullpen – even though the, the Dodgers bullpen has issues of its own, their bullpen is still better than the Nats. Because, you know, but the Nats, I think, as you said, you, you expect to see Corbin do a little while pitch and, and Daniel Hudson. Won't. But anyone besides those guys, I don't see how the Nats use anyone besides those – You can't. Those four, those four pitchers. You can't. And, you know, Corbin got lit up the other day. I thought it was really – really smart when they brought him in. I mean,
0: it lit up. You know, he, he had some dinkers. Like, it's not like he was
1: crushed. But, but the, no, the, the Russell Martin. Um, yeah. And that was what was an interesting, because what it, a really interesting managerial choice by Roberts, a great move, was Corbin, uh, you know, I, I listed those uh, pictures before, um, you know, looking at, uh, sorry, I was looking at, at uh, expected weight on base against lefties in baseball this year. Colerick was two. Um, Corbin was three. Um, and Corbin came in because the Dodgers stack Bellinger, and Seager in their lineup, or at least they did in Game Three, which lends itself to bringing in Corbin. In that it was like a perfect situation with Bellinger leading off to bring him in, um, but then Gavin Lux came up and roberts pinch hit david freeze which started the rally because he got a hit and then russell martin got a hit um, I, I i generally don't believe in like october clutchiness but then also i'm faced with the existence of david freeze <laughs> oh, did you see he had a quote the other day where someone was like you know like talk about your like you know october cl- cl- uh, clutchiness and he was kind of like you guys act like i'm terrible in the regular season too like i'm not that bad
0: <laughs> <laughs> there was there was a moment where the dodgers had the bases loaded gavin lux Will Smith and Matt Beatty, which is like, if you'd been asked that in March, you'd thought you'd be talking about an Arizona Fall League game right now. And those are the guys I had on base with the bases loaded.
1: I'll give the, I'll give the Dodgers a slight edge, but I think it's basically a coin flip. And if at the season, when the series began, if you said to the Nats, you're going to basically have a coin flip in game five with, with Strasburg on full rest. They they probably would have taken just, it. Just think about the narrative.
0: So the Dodgers lose. They choked away a 106 win season. The Nationals lose. They ha- they cannot win in the playoffs. And I then they and it. then
1: they have you know Rendon free agents. Strasburg possibly. Right. There's like a non-zero chance that Strasburg and Rendon are both gone next year. Good
0: times. Is... Good times all around. All right. The Cardinals and Braves are also tied at two. I think for my money, this has been the most entertaining of the series so far. Yes. Cardinals and Braves has really been a blast to watch. Uh, it's very interesting how they've gotten to this point. The Cardinals have 33 hits. Marcel Ozuna and Paul Goldschmidt have 15 of those hits. That's not what you want for everybody else. If you just look at Ozuna and Goldschmidt, they have a .455 batting average, a slugging percentage of just over 1,000, and a .614 weighted on base. Every other Cardinal hitter, not the pitchers batting, but just the hitters, 179 batting average, 221 slugging, 194 weighted on base. Tommy Edmonds has been okay, I guess. Everyone else has been uh, a disaster, more or less, you know. We're not talking about a huge sample size here. Um, there are some Yachty Molina narratives, I guess, to be aware of. You know, he was almost like halfway towards being the goat of that game the other day before he blooped that hit for <laughs> and a sacrifice fly. I mean, I, hey, you know, I've already annoyed Cardinals fans with my Yachty takes.
1: I have. I have. I just um he puts the ball in play. Yeah. He was certainly, certainly for the, when he came up with the, the, the tying, with the winning run on base in the bottom of the ninth, it was the ninth or 10th that game, I remember? 10th, um, I think. And he had to sacrifice fly. Like, that's a guy you want in the sports. Like, you need someone to put the ball in play. Yeah. He, I, he did a, it. That's a guy I want. He did it. Um, the blooper over uh, Freeman's head to tie the game. Granted, it actually had a, I think it had a fairly high. It, expe- blooper is an unfair way to put it. He exactly. hit it a little hard. That's fair. Um, no, the blooper over Freeman's head, the one over Freeman's head was a blooper. Maybe we're talking about two different plays here then. I thought he hit that one a little harder. Uh, not not, no? not not to my eye. Okay, but it, it still actually had a high expected batting a- expected batting because average. Of the because of, because of the bloop. But anyway, of the sixty four players with at least ten plate appearances of this season, uh postseason. Postseason, uh Molina's two oh eight expected winning base is fifty fifth out of sixty four players. But that's bad. That's terrible, but he has those two moments and that's all anyone's gonna remember. Goldschmidt, mind you, is number one on that list. Um Ozuna is fourth. So, yes, the the Cardinals, two names you you mentioned at the top, are coming by it honestly. And Molina, he's got the moments like he always has. And that's all anyone's going to really remember.
0: Carlos Martinez has had a rough uh, postseason so far. And what I found interesting, so he's been in three games. First game, he gave up three runs. Second game, he gave up three runs. Third game, he had uh, a scoreless inning. And you think, okay, great. But when I looked into it, no strikeouts, two crushed batted balls over 100 miles an hour. Yes, no runs scored. That's great. I cannot imagine having even the slightest bit of confidence in him going into game 5. Like can you are they going to bring him in with a save situation with the series on the line? And that's that's, I guess that's they have to That's but. the
1: biggest I mean the biggest thing that they're working against the Cardinals is like in the in the start in the starting starting pitching department they have the clear edge. Flaherty versus Voltanevic they've got the edge, there's no question. Yep. But they don't what they don't have is they don't have like the starting pitcher that they have like waiting in the wings that could come in and, like, you're scared of. You're not like, ooh, like, Dan, you know, Dakota Hudson might come in. No one's, like, no one's worried about yeah. w- what they might do there. I guess Martinez is sort of that guy, but he's not even pitching that. Yeah, Mar- Martinez, no one's afraid of. The Braves are, like, excited Bring him. on, yeah. <laughs> Giovanni Gallegos is basically the only reliever right now. I guess Brevia maybe, John Brevia is the only guy you feel good about. Andrew Miller is – you can't, you can't trust him. So that's – I mean, to me, that's why the Braves have the big edge because even they have – got Fultonavich. Freed has looked great coming out of the oh, pen. I love Freed. Um, even their other guys are still better than what the you know, your um, your Mark Melansons are still better than what the Cardinals have to
0: Melanson's had a rough, rough series.
1: I guess. I still I still I still trust him more than Martinez. If that's fate and praise, I guess, but um uh you know, I I, I for that reason I give a little bit of the edge. To the uh, I would I would I would take the Braves in this game.
0: I was asked on a radio show, uh, St. Louis radio show, about jo- uh, Josh Donaldson and Freddie Freeman struggling for the Braves, and that, that's true they have. But I I think they have gotten there in very different ways. Josh Donaldson only has three strikeouts in the first four games. I've seen him square up the ball a couple of times. Just it hasn't gone his way. It's like the sort of thing that happens in a couple of games. I'm not so sure that's true about Freddie Freeman. He yeah, for 9 with four strikeouts. Uh, Baseball Reference actually tweeted this out. If you look at games three and games four, by win probability added, they are his two worst postseason games of his career. We know he had some kind of like arm-elbow issue. Nobody's going to talk about not being healthy or not feeling good at this point in the playoffs, but he's great. I feel like it has to be something along those lines because he has not done very much. so far. No,
1: he's been... Uh... He's been pretty bad. Obviously, they're not going to bench him. One guy they might bench is, uh, and this is just—I uh, saw uh, Mark Bowman, our Braves uh, beat reporter, uh, tweeting about this from the Bruce uh, from the Snitker um, media availability, saying that they might that you know Adam Duvall, who's been like their secret weapon yeah. off the bench, they might put in the starting lineup tomorrow uh, ahead of Matt Joyce, which takes away the platoon matchup. Exactly, there, yeah. which is like that's definitely kind of going going with the uh, going with the gut there because. Joyce for his career and this year has been much better than Duval against right handed pitchers. And you know, Flaherty is a pretty tough right handed pitcher. Duvall is a good defender, maybe a better he's defender. Like,
0: he's like my sneaky favorite defender who nobody thinks is good, but he's really good. But then,
1: of course, Hague, it's not like Marquegis is lighting up. It's odd to me that, like, Joyce would necessarily be the And and you know me, I'm the, one of the world's biggest Knicks Marquegis defenders. I,
0: which I've never understood, by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mostly just because I enjoyed the fact that he had an outside shot at 3,000 hits, which uh, that shot was uh, destroyed this year when he basically missed half the season. But Duvall, that, that would be a, you know the the hitting on 18 version of, uh, <laughs> of managing <laughs> by putting in Duval for... Uh, for um uh joyce cardinals or braves uh i'm going to take the braves because of the 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 bullpen the bullpen advantage
0: i think that's right and i think yeah i mean this is another toss up this has been a fun series it really has this i would actually not mind if this one could go seven just because it's been fun um the now in the american league so one of these series is over and one of them maybe by the time you hear this but we are still a few hours away from Game Four of the Rays Astros series, and this one has mostly lived up to expectations. Like you expected, some ridiculously dominant pitching. I'm just I'm glad the Rays took one. I was worried this is going to be like a three and out because the Astros are maybe the best team in the history of baseball. And if you looked at Cole and you looked like at Verlander, you might believe that. And then Zach Greinke uh, got lit up by the suddenly powerful Tampa Bay Rays the other day.
1: I mean, Greggie's good, but he's just not on that, the level of those guys. He's still a guy – he's, he's pitching with. He's pitching so much more on Guile now, and when he's on, it's fun. But he's a guy you know – you feel like you have a chance when Greggie's pitching. Against Cole and Verlander, you kind of don't really feel like you have a chance.
0: The, Ra- the Rays in a couple hours are going to uh, use Diego Castillo as the opener, and I feel like if there's any team that is situated for this, it's the Rays, because then uh, if you listen to this show, you know all about Nick Anderson – and Colin Poche, and Emilio Pagan, and Chaz Rowe, and Oliver Drake. Uh, Diego Castillo has the, th- the third hardest sinker in baseball, and it's really second hardest because Jordan Hicks is atop that leaderboard, and he's hurt, um, but he also throws a slider like 52% of the time. If you watched the StatCast broadcast of the wildcard game, Oakland and Tampa Bay, first of all, thank you. We very much appreciate it, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, you may have heard uh, Jason Benetti and Eduardo Perez and I getting giddy watching Diego Castillo, who owns a 98-mile-an-hour sinker, throw slider after slider after slider after slider uh, to Mark Canna because it was a, a pretty fun experience. I like Castillo for two innings, and then Anderson's been a monster, and they just have like an endless string guys. You know, you won't see Morton, but you could see Blake
1: Snell for an inning. Glasnow could come back. It's uh, It'll be interesting to see how they manage the game, and, you know— Verlander on short rest. He surprisingly he's, he he hasn't really. I would have expected that he had like a little bit more of a track record of doing it. I think he only has one. St- he only well, has huge, one start. Huge, at- huge caveats here.
0: I looked this up this morning, and then I'm glad I looked into it a little further. He has gone on short rest twice in October, but neither of them count, at least in the way we're talking about here. In 2011, in the third game of the ALDS, he went on short rest against the Yankees, and he was great. 11 strikeouts in eight innings. Uh, but here's the huge caveat here. He pitched one inning in Game One before it was suspended due to weather, so that doesn't really count. He pitched an inning, you know? yeah. And then uh, two years ago in the game, the fourth game of the ALDS, he came in in relief and he pitched two and two thirds innings somehow without any strikeouts, which is wild to think about right now. Uh, and they also won. He has not he has not done what he's doing now. So Matt Kelly, another one of our researchers, wrote. About the history of short rest in the wild card era, so back to 1995, and he said pitchers starting on three days rest or less since their last start in the postseason had gone a combined 30 and 44 with a 4.58 ERA across 120 games. I'm sure there's a lot to like pick apart there. You know, did the team score? Who are their opponents? All
1: this kind of stuff. Uh, that isn't a great track record. Yeah, and you could say, well, none of those pitchers were Justin Verlander, and you're right, but. For the most part, there is some selection bias because the only pitchers who are getting asked to pitch on three days rest are generally like the aces of their staff. Sure. So that's why they aren't necessarily at the level of Justin Verlander. They're usually, you know, above average and often ace, ace starters. I mean, if there's anyone I think could do it, it's going to be him. The question is whether or not he can give them innings because right now the, the, the Astros bullpen – is showing a little bit of, of shaking. Ryan Plessy's not been the same since he came back from the IL. Asuna always seems a little shaky. So we know Cole's not going to come out of relief. So you don't really want Wade Miley out there. I think this is the right choice. I mean, they don't it, they don't have a fourth starter. I, I'm never
0: I can never say his name right, but I think Jose or Kitty is is the other option. He's been fine, but not much of a
1: track record. To me, the other option was starting your kitty, hoping that you have a lead after like four innings, and maybe tr- going to Verlander for I'd rather really.
0: I'd rather start with Verlander. Totally. I, I, mean, I, I agree if, with you. If the idea is you're getting eighty-five to ninety percent of regular Verlander, it's still really good. Yeah. And you know, you're not expecting eight innings out of him probably. No. I mean you, you could try to go like uh you know twelve dimensional chess and win without him so that he's available for game one of the ALCS or whatever, but I hate thinking ahead that far.
1: Tampa Bay's too good to look past in that way. No question. You don't want to go to game five. Yeah that's I mean for from from the Yankees perspective, and we'll get to them in a second, they have to be rooting so hard Yes, I'm sure they'd rather play the Rays, but more than anything, they just want this to go five because yeah. that means that Cole and Verlander will not pitch in Game One. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> That's like, Which is a huge advantage. Yes, for them. or at least it just it changes it changes the uh, the complexion of the series. Uh,
0: my guess here is that the. I'm gonna say Rays win because I think they've got so many good relievers, and you're not gonna get peak Verlander, and then they're gonna go back to Houston for Game Five, and Garrett Cole is going to eat them up and spit them out. That's what's gonna happen here.
1: That sounds that sounds uh, that sounds about right.
0: And finally, the Yankees have won, and I I just kind of feel bad for Twins fans at this point. I mean, it's just, it's just comical. <laughs> I, There's nothing. Really... <laughs> I I really liked the Twins this year. I made this joke to a friend. Uh, next year, the Twins are gonna go 156 and six. And the six losses
1: are going to be the Yankees. <laughs> because that's the other thing is the, the domination has not just been in the postseason. It's been like in the regular season, too. It's just for going on like 15 years. It doesn't matter who's in the uniforms. It just I'm, doesn't I'm, matter. I'm starting to believe in like
0: self-perpetuating myths. Like I, I do not believe in any way that the Twins lost this because a 2004 or whatever version of the Twins lost to the Yankees. Like it's it's irrelevant. The Yankees were the better
1: team. No question about it.
0: But I wonder if you hear about it so much over the years, and that just starts getting into your head, and then maybe that starts to make it matter a little bit. Like,
1: I, I don't think I don't think that can be that can be discounted. Um, the Twins obviously had a great season one, one a hundred and what hundred and hundred wins. Some, what if, it was it, really good. Yeah. Great, triple yeah. and, days. and it wasn't just because of the weak competition. also no, they are a good team. As we, we we talked about before, though, they're starting pitching by the by the they Ds started Randy Dobnack Yeah, was two. And the, what's interesting about the Twins looking forward is that they. Their rosters, they have a solid roster. They have a good roster. Don't get me wrong. But, like, you look ahead to next year, um, Odo Rizzi was very good for them as a free agent. Yep. Um, You know, Cruz's option, they'll pick up, but it's, you know, it's.
0: I'm not rooting, I'm not counting him out at any point. Yeah, but
1: still, he's still at some point, you know, he's.
0: I mean, the the lineup, I think, will be more or less the same. It's the pitching staff's going to have a lot of turnover. Exactly.
1: Pitching staff's turnover, but even still, like, um, Jason Castro, free agent, Scopes a free agent. These aren't, like, impact players. It's just the roster is going to change a lot. You don't yeah. know what you're going to get from – you still don't know what you get from Buxton. Sure. Um, it's just – it's going to be a little bit of a different look um, from the team uh, they were this year.
0: I, I never know if, like, marquee free agents actually want to go to Minnesota just to, like as a place to, to play or live. But they have to get one of the pitchers. Like, no, they're not going to get Gary Cole most likely. Zach Wheeler, right? I mean, Hyunjin Ryu – Somebody, like, they need at least one or two or three starting pitchers. Like, Barrios is really good. Pineda, I think I think his suspension lasts. He's, he's, also, he's a free, agent, and he's a free agent, too. agent, he's a free agent. Well. So he's oh. another he's another he's another name. Yeah.
1: Um so it's the team is gonna have a different team's gonna have a different look. They they still have a solid core. You know, Polanco and Kepler are locked up, those are good players. Um Snow, so good there. player. Um so the, Garver L- broke out, it was great. Luis Arise. Luis Arise. <laughs> <laughs> First rookie with four doubles in a series, I think, was uh, the stat I saw. On, on, on one leg, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so they have players. Uh, they still have Marlon Gonzalez. They have they have a solid foundation. It's just going to be a little bit of a different look, especially on the pitching staff. So the Yankees, last night, the most interesting play of the game was uh, Aaron Judge. And like the, the the Twins had all sorts of runners on base. Like every inning, it seemed like they had two runners on base. They just could not get a hit with runners in scoring position. Their only run was scored on a solo home run in the eighth <laughs> inning, even though they had, like, in, runners on to basically every other inning. And there was one play, um, it was – what was it? The uh... it, it
0: was two. The Yankees were up two nothing in the bottom of the sixth, and uh, there was one out and a runner on second base. And Miguel Sano comes up and he blasts the ball to right field, 107.9 miles an hour off the bat, 16 degree launch angle. It was it was never going to go out, but it was like you know the kind of low liner hit hard that generally turns into extra bases. Aaron Judge goes back, and he, he makes a nice catch on it. You know, he, like, reaches over his head. Uh, and the television broadcast accurately said that because he's 6'7", he's got such wingspan and length that he's just able to get to more of those balls. I totally agree. He's, he's like, quietly a gold-glove caliber outfielder, and nobody thinks of him in that way because he pounds the ball so much. He's not going to win it because Mookie Betts exists. I Although, if it's,
1: it, if it, what's interesting, if you look at um, catch probability this year, from uh, just in pure outs above average – Betts had seven outs above average, and Judge was at six, six. and yeah. he also spent a lot less. Time. I mean, like on a rate basis, he was probably yeah. better,
0: and he adds value with his arm too. Yes, because he's got a very strong arm. So it, you know, it was a nice looking play, um, and I thought it was interesting. And then the broadcast said, no other outfielder in baseball makes that catch. I'm not sure I buy that, but anyway, we looked into the numbers, and it was a it was a 90% catch probability, and that's because uh, he got an average jump. It was literally point. It was it was a one third of a foot jump better than average, and he went. His sprint speed was 20.8 feet. Now his season average sprint speed is like 28 he wasn't running that hard and he didn't need to he he did what he needed to to get to the play so no problems here whatsoever you know he needed to go 41 feet in 3.8 seconds and he went 45 feet now usually we we try not to uh you know tweet out or push like oh yeah that play you thought was great here's why it wasn't because that's no fun that's being a super big buzz kill uh but i thought this was interesting with <laughs> matt i think you saw this first uh carson smith who uh major league pitcher who had a really good year for the mariners in 2015 has been injury plagued with the red Sox for the last couple years he tweeted out uh regarding judge his height with a 50 percent effort jump doesn't match mookie's reads speed and athleticism mookie would have caught that ball not on the same line that was two feet higher but so could have judge the difficulty of the catch just wasn't very high i thought that was really interesting because uh it's a nice looking catch the numbers say like it's fine whatever uh and here's a major league player now one maybe with a slight mookie bets bias because he's been his teammate for the past few years so whatever uh just says it wasn't that difficult of a catch and in no way is this intended to take away from Aaron Judge because he did exactly what he needed to do but you know he made it probably look a little harder than it had to be and I thought it was cool that the numbers and the eye test of a major leaguer lined up here
1: exactly and as, as we said we're not trying to denigrate Judge who yeah. is legitimately an excellent uh right fielder he made it he made uh at least one great catch in game one um it's what's it did look like, to me, it looked like on that play he might have misjudged it a little bit. But the thing about Aaron Judge is he knows, especially on balls going back, because he's so tall, he actually has a yeah. little bit more. He didn't need to get behind it. Mar- margin margin for error than uh, than other outfielders do, and obviously he made the play. But it was like it seemed like the broadcast and a lot of baseball Twitter was really trying to make make this a great catch. And it was a, it was a fine catch. It was a big play because the ball was hit hard. It had a very high hit probability. Yeah, it would you know there was a runner on base. It was the Twins were desperate for a hit with runner on base, like. He did what he needed to do. It just, you know, uh, it wasn't as impressive maybe as uh, the eye test would have suggested.
0: Before we dispense with the Twins, I did want to point out that Eddie Rosario had himself an interesting day. He hit a double off a pitch that was 4.2 feet high off the ground. If you can go check out the, uh, the heat map for this thing, it's hilarious because it's basically on his eyes. It was the third highest pitch that has produced an extra base hit in 2019, including regular season and postseason. He also had a very interesting slide into first base. This was, you know, the Yankees have played pretty good defense, and there was a play late in the game where Torres was playing second base in the shift, you know, ranges into, like, short right field, gets the ball, turns around, throws it a mile to D.J. LeMayhew, who makes a nice, uh, you know, short, hot play. It was a really great defensive play. And Eddie Rosario slides headfirst in the first base. We have dug into this over the years. There is an argument to be made that if you do it perfectly – it can be as fast or faster, with the idea being that uh, if you do it so perfectly that the loss of momentum hasn't mattered yet, that maybe, you know, your, your wingspan and getting horizontal uh, can help you rather than being vertical. If you do it perfectly, which nobody ever does, this is hard to convey in a podcast if you haven't seen the picture that I tweeted out. He starts his slide, I don't know. Eight feet short of the bag, like he's barely in the frame. Uh, as far as it probably would have been out either
1: way, to be honest. Yeah, no, he
0: was but it, it was a visual, visually entertaining. We we'll it, it that.
1: It almost watching the game. It almost felt like cause it was actually the second time that um, Rosario got to, uh, earlier in the game. He would actually gotten a hit on a play, very similar play where Rosario where Torres stopped it in short right field and didn't have a play. He got a single, but this one there was two men on at the time, and it prevented a run from scoring. It almost felt like watching the game. Like Rosario was almost like sliding at like he was like just like out of frustration, just like flopping, almost like flopping the ground. (laughs) But yeah, it was it was it also it brought back like a Willie Mays Hayes in Major League when he was like sliding and and comes up uh, comes up uh, short of the the base. So
0: let's uh, let's pour one out for the Twins who had a really probably the most entertaining I think run to a division title this year. Uh, The Yankees await the winner of the Rays. Uh, in the Astros and either one of those matchups is going to be phenomenal the Yankees by the way just put up a 403 on base percentage in this division series it is the fourth highest on base percentage we've ever seen in a division series number one unsurprisingly last year's Astros who were really really good Uh, and then number two the 2007 Indians and number three the 2002 Angels and then last this year's Yankees the Yankees uh, are going to be quite the matchup and Aaron Boone has maybe changed the way he's used his pitchers a little bit this year.
1: That was the most interesting subplot for me in the Yankees series was uh was the way Boone was aggressively switching relievers last year as some may recall against the Red Sox he was kind of blamed yeah. for blowing that yeah. series that in um I guess it was in in game 3 he left Severino in too long in the fourth and then he ended up getting like there was, it was like, a weird game where remember there was the, there was the rumors that Severino started warming up late because oh, they needed yeah. to know when the game was starting. I about that. But then he actually was okay for the first couple innings, and then in the fourth he got rocked and they left him in and they ended up losing that game like 16 to 1. And then game four, Sabathia, which obviously Sabathia is not old CC Sabathia, in the third inning, he was getting knocked around and he left him in. They ended up giving him four runs, and they lost four to three. So Boone was criticized heavily last year for kind of being the old school manager in the postseason, sticking with his guys too long. Um this year, he seems to be learning. He's been way more aggressive, especially with how he's using his relievers. In game one, I thought it was really interesting when, uh, in the fifth inning, Paxton was pitching okay, and there was one out, one on, and two outs in the fifth. He brought in Ottavino to face Nelson Cruz. Adovino walked Nelson Cruz, and he took out— was out. One uh, was batter. Out one batter, Adovino. I guess uh, Tommy Canely is much better—is it Canely or kind I always forget. Canely. Canely. Okay. Canely, because of his changeup, is, is much better against lefties, and Rosario, a left hand hitter, was on deck after Cruz, so they took him out, one batter, and that was it. And then and then Canely pitched like, three batters. It was basically two of them pitched to five batters total. Um, and then in Game 4, the same thing. Um, he went to Canely for three batters, brought in Adovino— just to face Cruz. He walked, walked Cruz him and then took him right out. Cruz Cruz spitting on those low and away sliders was kind of fun to watch. So it was it was interesting to me to see how aggressive he was in taking him out. It showed a, a very little faith in Audito against lefties, yeah. I have to say. So if they're facing um the and the you know the um the Astros with uh Brantley and Alvarez, they have a couple of really good left-handed hitters that mix in, in the middle of the lineup you could see, I guess, in maybe the top of the lineup, you might get, try and get out of, you know, matched up against the Altuve-Bregman. But it go, usually goes like Altuve-Bregman and then uh, Brantley third and Springer fourth, I think. Um, but that's... uh we'll if they end up facing the Astros, that is. But either way, he's clearly being more aggressive, knowing that maybe he almost d- doesn't have to plan on having his starters go deep because they don't really have starters that are going to go deep anyway. So he's always going to be um, using guys in short stints and we also they also have hap who's sort of become their their swingman.
0: yeah and they are kind of fun to watch because this is what the roster demands if you're if you're Davy Martinez you've got some really high quality starters and not much of a bullpen you know so you ride those guys as much as you can if you're Aaron Boone there's not really a starter I trust that much like if you were to rank of all the postseason teams uh, the top starters from one to 20 is that the best Yankee starter is I don't know 12th something yeah. like that I mean you know Severino, when fully healthy, is very good, but he's not. He, he's not really been built up. Um, but you have this insane bullpen. You know you have Ottavino and Chapman and Chad Green, by the way, who looked awesome last night.
1: And suppose that they were thinking they were going to use Chad Green as an opener in Game Four. By the way, the Yankees yeah. were going to use Green as an opener in, in a playoff game, which is kind of wild. Which I could see them in the LCS. It seems it seems very likely in Game Four could be an opener game.
0: Well, I mean, if it's the Astros, it might be as well too, because like unless you're really going to start Jose or Kitty against. The Yankees in Yankee State, or even in Houston, by the way, if it's Houston and the Yankees, this is the these are the two ballparks where you get like the highest rate of, I don't want to say cheap home runs, but cheap home runs yep. because of the short fences. Anyway, the Astros have to get past the Rays. That game kicks off in about, oh, 90 minutes? No, three hours. I forgot what time the game was. Uh, that game starts in about three hours for us, so by the time you listen to this, maybe Uh, Verlander will be out of the game. I don't know. I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be a lot of fun and then a couple of game fives tomorrow. This is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com stackcast podcast. Thanks for listening.